Hello and welcome to the NACA podcast. I'm Doug Church, Deputy Director of Public Affairs at the NACA National Office in Washington, D.C. Today we've got an interview with Steve Widener, NACA's rep for unmanned aircraft systems. But first, here are some of our current headlines. The countdown is on, only six more weeks until we see many of you in Philadelphia at the 17th NACA Biennial Convention. You can find the latest about convention at NACA.org convention. We're also pleased to announce that we'll be live streaming the convention on the member's side homepage of the NACA.org website. Convention business opens on April the 18th and runs through April the 20th. Turning to safety and technology news, imagine for a moment that software and hardware designers for smartphones never actually used the equipment they developed. They never handled it, never opened the actual application, or interacted to improve the design. Well, that's part of the issue vendors have when it comes to air traffic control systems. Vendors may employ retired controllers as contractors and advisors, but it is imperative to get a working controller's perspective. Part of NACA's mission is to improve and establish new relationships with partners within the aviation community. So with that in mind, Raytheon's Terminal Automation Modernization and Replacement, or TAMR, manager, uh, Chris Rogers, called to invite a controller to visit and speak to engineers about the standard terminal automation replacement system. STARS is a Raytheon product that is deploying nationwide to replace all existing terminal automation platforms. Boston Tracon FAC rep Kurt Fisher accepted this recent invitation and represented NATCA. The visit comes on the heels of a successful cutover of Cape Tracon to A90 on February the 11th. Thanks to the excellent work, pre-planning, and advanced testing and troubleshooting by all involved, the cutover and STARS adaptation was seamless. The collaborative approach from the ground up with all members of both facilities and Raytheon created an important learning environment that TAMR team members will take with them as they move to more complicated consolidations in the future. It's something the agency and NACA can continue to build relationships upon. Down in Charlotte, North Carolina, progress is being made on the Airspace Technology Demonstration 2 project, or ATD2 for short. NACA President Paul Rinaldi, Director of Safety and Technology Jim Ullman, and NACA Program Management Organization Rep Jeff Woods toured Charlotte Tower recently to see the technology firsthand. ATD2 provides solutions to the multi-airport metroplex environment. The technology is a collaborative effort by NACA, NASA, the FAA, and industry that integrates arrival, departure, and surface concepts and technologies. This effectively increases predictability and improves efficiency and safety within the national airspace system. ATD2 was introduced at Charlotte last year. What has followed is a strategic effort with increased sophistication of surface scheduling demonstrations. Center participation will increase through 2020. According to Jeff Woods, the decision for Charlotte to be the site for the ATD2 effort was both a data and an operational driven decision. It was based on Charlotte's complex surface operation as well as the interaction Charlotte departures have with Atlanta and the eastern seaboard traffic. In NACA benefits news, we want to remind members that we are currently in the open season until April 30th for enrollment in the UNUM Long-Term Disability Program. If you couldn't go to work for a month, a year, or longer, how would you cover your your bills? Well, NACA has partnered with UNUM Insurance to offer an affordable long-term disability insurance available only for NACA members. Given the nature of your work and the strict medical requirements you are subject to, the NACA UNUM plan allows our members to provide a level of financial security for yourself and your family in the event of unforeseen circumstances. Learn more by going to NACADisability.com and calculate the coverage you need today. That's NACADisability.com. 
In professional standards news, we have a new initiative to tell you about. NACA and the FAA began a collaborative effort to identify potential safety improvements related to human factors in the national airspace system in 2010. The Professional Standards Program was the first initiative created through this effort. NACA and the FAA hoped that through peer-to-peer -peer resolution, they could maintain the highest degree of professional conduct. Through the years, additional NACA-FAA joint initiatives were added under the Foundations of Professionalism umbrella, including Fully Charged, Turn Off, Tune In, ATSAP, Partnership for Safety, and Right from the Start. This year, we are highlighting the newest addition to the Foundations of Professionalism program, the RESPECT initiative. As part of this initiative, NACA and the agency are committed to maintaining workplaces where all employees are supportive of their peers, where all team members are treated with dignity and respect, that accept and are tolerant of differences, and that demonstrate empathy and compassion. We believe that instilling these values in the FAA's facilities will create a better and safer airspace system. Look for more information soon. And now we turn to our interview with Steve Widener. Many of you know Steve as the chairman of our National Legislative Committee, but he also serves as the co-lead rep on our unmanned aircraft systems efforts, along with Jeff Richards. Thank you, Steve, for joining us today. Uh, i got a few questions here. Uh, let's start off with this. What is NACA's involvement in the UAS issue, and what is our primary goal for collaborating with the FAA and the drone industry? Doug, thanks for having, a, uh, having me on this morning. Um, so NACA's involvement with UAS uh, takes the form right now of a full-time Article 114 rep, uh, myself over at the FAA, um, involved in all the day-to-day -day activities with uh, the implementation and integration of UAS into the NAS. I also work with Jeff Richards out of Chicago Center, who spends a great amount of his time also working UAS issues with me. Um, NACA's goal is the same as uh, most of the industry. It's the safe integration of unmanned aircraft into the national airspace system. They're not going away. Uh, they're only uh, proliferating throughout the NAS more and more, and uh, we want to make sure that as they as they continue to fly and occupy our airspace with our manned uh, aircraft customers, that they're doing it safely and efficiently. So, a, a few weeks ago, last month in February, NACA joined Airlines for America and the Airline Pilots Association on a letter to Congress. There was a very strong safety message included. Uh, can you talk about? Uh, what we're asking Congress to do and why we did the letter? Sure. The, the letter itself uh, was aimed primarily at uh, a section of the 2012 FAA bill, Section 336, which spoke to hobbyists flying in the NAS and defined a hobbyist. And the other thing that that section did, and it has really handcuffed uh, the, the agency and a lot of the industry was it prevented the FAA administrator from imposing any new rules mm -hmm. on hobbyists. And what that means is that we can't place any new uh, restrictions on them whatsoever, no rules about where they can fly or altitudes. Um, one of the uh, court cases that got decided recently was the, the registration court case uh, where the FAA required all uh, UAS over, I believe it was a half a pound, to register, and the FAA was sued. Uh, it was uh, Taylor versus Huerta, I believe was the case, and uh, it, was, it was really a no-brainer for the judge and ruled in favor of Taylor and said that the FAA had violated its, its statutory authority by requiring aircraft to register. So something as simple as registration wasn't allowed because of the Section 336 statute. Uh, we're seeing a lot of 
close calls uh, in, in and around airports where, quite frankly, people are flying drones where they shouldn't be flying them. And the FAA right now is somewhat powerless to be able to place any restrictions on those those uh, aircraft doing that. And it's primarily the hobbyists. Most other people flying uh, flying drones under Part 107, which are a lot of your commercial operators or uh, your military, things like that, though they're all, they're all very responsible uh, citizens of the NAS and are, and are doing it safely. It's the people that that uh, that order the the new drone off of Amazon or go buy it at Best Buy and take it out of the box and go fly it. Yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do with they don't know what they don't know. And and so there there's you know a strong education component that needs to happen. But overall, uh, Section 336 needs to be amended to give the the FAA the statutory authority to to pose uh, impose some reasonable restrictions uh, and for the safety of the NAS. So education is a big topic, certainly, and as we look ahead to the to the week in front of us here, you know, the big FAA's uh, third annual UAS conference is this week in Baltimore, which you'll be attending uh, along with Jeff and uh, NAC Executive Vice President Trish Gilbert. Why is this conference important, and what do you expect will be the big discussion topics and themes uh, up to and including education? You know, these conferences are are all very important, and the, and the FAUAS Symposium is just one of the conferences that, that Jeff and I attend uh, around the country and around the world. Um, integration is a complicated thing. You know, when you talk about unmanned aircraft that are as small uh, as a something that could fit in the palm of your hand all the way up to, the, say, the size of a Global Hawk, which has a wingspan of a 737, all of those are trying to find their place in the NAS, and the the agency and uh, industry are trying to find reasonable regulations and policies and procedures to enable safe integration. So they so they have their place in the NAS as well. Um, you're going to see a lot of discussion uh, just about general topics like that. Um, you know, how do we further educate the the less educated users of the NAS? This is a whole new level of aviator, a whole new brand of aviator that's coming in that doesn't have the traditional aviation background that a lot of manned flight does, that a lot of your traditional modelers even that, mm. that build their, uh, you know, P-47s or B-17s or whatever and then fly them from a field, you know, th those those people are generally uh, steeped in aviation knowledge as well. This is a whole new brand of aviator, especially this this hobbyist that's coming into in. Um, you're going to see a lot of discussion about that, how we can further that, uh, the education process. Um, you're going to see a lot of discussion about uh, LANCE, low altitude authorization and notification capability. That's a that's a big step forward for the agency right now. Um, a lot of different topics like that, um, and and these are all good discussions to keep furthering the integration of NAS into the U.S. or U.S. into the NAS. So in our in our latest uh, National Office Safety and Tech update, uh, you talk about uh, LANCE uh, at length in the update on for the membership. So just a preview of that, which will come out later in the week uh, by email, but. That's expected to be deployed nationwide in April, is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's correct. So LANCE stands for Low Altitude Authorization and Notification Capability. Uh, real quick background on that, and you can, as Doug said, you can read this in the update. Um, Part 107, when it was introduced um, about a year and a half ago, required that all operators operating in Class B, C, and D airspaces, as well as E surface areas, get air traffic authorization to fly in those airspaces. Um, that presented a huge challenge for the FAA as to how to authorize these flights of these small UAS, you know, we're talking about below 400 feet AGL, less than 55 pounds, um, without inundating the facilities with phone calls mm -hmm. from, from the operators and emails. And so um, 
the first step towards that was creating uh, what are called the UAS facility maps. These are just maps of the individual airspaces that are that are gridded off in sections of about one by one mile. The, these were sent to the facilities and asked, and we asked the facilities to collaboratively uh, decide in each one of those grids, assuming every runway is hot all the time and all your heliports are active or any other traffic flows that you have at low level. Now. Given those parameters, what can you release in each one of these squares up to 400 feet AGL? Those maps were then stored at FAA headquarters, and any proponent wanting to fly under Part 107 had to go to the FAA website uh, and request an authorization. That process is taking 90 to 120 days, and the queue keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's, it's simply a manpower issue. Um, the, the volume of Part 107 operators that are out there right now is continuing to grow, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. So the FAA knew that they had to get ahead of this problem and figure out a better way to do business uh, and provide these authorizations. So they came up with a, uh, a public-private partnership, and that's really what Lance is. It's a public-private partnership where the FAA uh, solicited input and, and partnerships from what we're calling UAS service suppliers. Um, these are uh, companies that have agreed to partner with the FAA. They've reached uh, agreement on the common data sharing platform and other requirements that the FAA has put on them for accessing the, the facility maps and things like that. They then subsequently develop their, their own app or their own website or, or whatever. And UAS operators can go then to their product and say, I want to fly in... Dallas airspace at this point, looking at the map at this altitude, yep, it's under the map, and boom, they 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 hit request, and it's an almost instantaneous approval. So we're going from almost a, you know a 90 to 120 days and getting worse to almost an instantaneous approval, which then the facility receives as well, um, and they're flying within within the boundaries of the map that the facility created. So uh, it's, it's a huge step forward in enabling some uh, much more rapid authorizations. Okay, excellent. Uh, one last question for you. Uh, this Friday will be the Drone Advisory Committee meeting, which is a regularly scheduled quarterly, is that correct? They, hold they do meetings. about quarterly, yes. Now, Trish Gilbert serves uh, on the, the DAC, which we call a DAC uh, for short, representing NACA. Uh, tell our members who may not be aware, what is the DAC and what is its primary role? Sure. So the DAC is a uh, is a group of uh, industry and, and uh, some federal uh, officials on on this committee that uh, that meet about quarterly to advise the FAA on matters of policy in integrating UAS safely into the NAS. Um, the DAC has tackled uh, priority of airspace access. They're they're tackling the uh, UAS funding issue, for example. Um, you know, all other users in the NAS pay something in some way, shape, or form, whether it be a ticket tax or a fuel tax. Um, currently, right now, there's no method for UAS to pay for the services that they're, that they're being provided. So that was another uh, area that the DAC tackled. Um, local versus federal authority over airspace. Um, that, that's another issue that the DAC has tackled. So they're, they're identifying the large issues and then forming some task groups underneath the, the major, you know, the, the main DAC and letting those task groups do some work and make some recommendations, and which then the DAC decides to adopt or not. They adopt them. They make those recommendations to the FAA that, you know, these are your areas of policy, and here's how we think you can go about uh, affecting change or making implementations as necessary. 
Excellent. Uh, is there an email address that any members can contact you, you and Jeff to for any of the questions about UAS? Absolutely. If uh, if anybody out there has any questions about uh, UAS, they can get a hold of Jeff and I at UAS at NACA.net. Jeff and I both get those emails, and we will be sure to get right back to you. That's great. Thank you, Steve, for joining us. Thanks, Doug. Today, we'd like to give a shout-out to two members. First, Hugh Hunton of Fort Worth Center. Last week, Hugh worked his last day as an air traffic controller after more than 33 years. Last year, Hugh was part of a ZFW team that helped save the life of a Cessna pilot when he encountered both weather and mechanical challenges above North Texas. Congratulations, Hugh, on your retirement. Second, congratulations to Vladimir Castro of San Juan CRAP. Castro was honored by British Virgin Islands Premier D. Orlando Smith last weekend for the relief efforts that he flew as part of the Caribbean Flyers last year. A very well-deserved honor for truly selfless and hugely generous work. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening, and please tell a NACA sister or brother about this new feature. If you have a story idea or a comment, please email me at dchurch at NACA.net, D-C-H-U-R-C-H at NACA.net. From all of us at the NACA National Office, have a great week, and thank you for what you do every day to keep our national airspace system the safest in the world.